Where do you turn when you're hurting? In these times of hurting in our lives, when we've failed spiritually, when we've stumbled, when we've blown it, when we're in pain, this is not the time to go away from the cross. It's not the time to isolate yourself. It's not the time to pull away from your friends and from your Christian brothers and sisters. Exactly the opposite. It's the time to press in. You know why? Because the devil loves to exploit our pain and use it against us. To develop in our minds thoughts that it's God's fault and God let you down when that's not the truth at all. This is amazing grace. Someone has observed we can live 40 days without food, four days without water, and four minutes without air. But we cannot live four seconds without hope. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll learn, among other things, that the resurrection of Jesus brings hope. Pastor Ed Taylor recalls a story in Luke 24 where a couple of very discouraged disciples had lost hope. And maybe that's how you feel today. Let's see together how the Lord responds to the discouragement in our lives on this very special Good Friday edition of Abounding Grace. Take your Bibles, if you would, open them to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. That's Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Luke chapter 24 as that will be the text that we look at together. If you didn't come with a Bible, uh, there are Bibles available in the chairs in front of you. Feel free to take that out and use it. Keep it if you need a Bible, because you do need a Bible, and we'd love to be the one to give it to you. But Luke 24 is where we are in a Bible study that I've entitled, The Resurrection Brings Hope. The Resurrection Brings Hope. You know, it wasn't just a few days earlier prior to this text in Luke 24 that Jesus Christ, the perfect human, God in human flesh, who never did anything but good, never committed a sin in his life, he helped people, he healed people, he, he gave himself in every sense of that word and that phrase to the people in front of him, was rewarded by being viciously beaten by the Roman government. The word for that is scourged. He was scourged, which meant that they would lay him out with his arms above his head, and on either side of him would be a Roman soldier who with both hands in full force would take their turns beating him 40 times with this thing called a cat of nine tails, which basically was a stick with strips of leather outside of it with, with fragments of bone and lead there. And it would literally tear into his skin, beating after beat, blow after blow. Such a horrible beating that most people that would come under scourging would either die under the blows or stop the beating with a false confession, or a confession, or oftentimes a false confession, just confessing to something so that they would stop. But the Bible tells us that Jesus endured all the blows for you and me. 
after he endured the blows, the, the Bible says that they then had him carry his own crossbeam to the place of the cross. And they would attach that crossbeam to him and then nail him one hand here and one hand here and put a nail through his feet. And Jesus would experience death through one of, if not the most torturous, horrific way that man has invented to kill another human being. And his friends, the Bible often refers to his friends as followers. Sometimes you'll see them referred to as disciples or apostles. His friends were crushed. You see, the relationship that these men and women had with Jesus was, was similar to yours and mine. However, I think it went a little bit deeper as the longing of our hearts want to go a little bit deeper. It's unfortunate, but, but today in our relationship with Jesus Christ, it's been relegated to church attendance and maybe reading the Bible every now and then and thinking about God perhaps or crying out to him when you're in trouble. And, and all of those are really begin, good beginning spots, but that's not what those with Jesus experienced. It wasn't an episodic relationship with him, but a real, vibrant, thriving relationship. One that consumed them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Oh, they weren't perfect. They, they weren't unlike you and I in our imperfections, but I mean, for three years they hung out with him. This was not just their teacher, not just the hope of salvation. This was their friend. They didn't make a small commitment at a church service, as I'm going to ask for some of you to do in just a few moments. No, that commitment was not small at all. But it was a rather large commitment of a surrender to their, of their life to him. He would often come alongside of, him, of someone and say, you come follow me. And what they did is they got up and followed him with everything that they had. Many that were following him gave up their careers and gave up their livelihood to follow this man. Many gave up their families and turned away and left their families and left everything that they've known to follow Jesus with all that they had. You could say that they went all in. They were fully committed every day, all day, with the expectation that this man would fulfill the prophecies of Scripture. And when he died, when they watched it with their own eyes, it wrecked their life. Discouragement was a part of the death of Jesus. It surrounded the death of Jesus. His friends, even though he prepared them, over and over again, we have recorded for us Jesus telling them, I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. This isn't going to end well to begin with. And then he'd always follow up, but I'll rise again. And it's as if they didn't connect in the reality of losing Jesus and rising again. They truly misunderstood him. In their understanding of the Bible, they expected the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to come. Not just to forgive them of their sins. It's almost like they say, well, you know, the forgiveness of my sins, that's great. I'm a Jew. I'm a part. That's fine. But, but what we really want is for the Roman government to be broken. We want your kingdom to be established. And they were expecting for Jesus to overthrow Rome and establish his kingdom. What they expected was for him to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords, to be crowned the king. But instead, he was given what? A crown of thorns twisted viciously into his skull. And when they watched him die, saw him taken down off the cross and put into a tomb, 
rolled a stone over the opening, sealed it all around, guarded by Roman soldiers 24 hours a day, their hearts sank. They were hurting. Even though they were warned, death, the death of their friend, the death of their best friend, took them by surprise, as death often will. Do you know the Bible says that death is our enemy? Not our friend. The Bible says it this way, Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet, but the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And before us here in Luke chapter 24 is a true story of two very discouraged disciples who misunderstood the purpose of the coming of Jesus Christ. Their hearts once burned with passion for him, but now they're discouraged and bummed out and disillusioned with life. And they were left in their own hearts with no hope. In their thinking, which was the limited space of their minds and lives at this time, in their limited thinking with only what they could see and what they could figure out, their conclusion was, there's no hope. This won't change. This is the end of life as we know it. In their thinking, Jesus let them down. He failed them. It wasn't what they were expecting. Maybe that's the way you feel this Easter. Discouraged. Disillusioned. Maybe you haven't been to church in a long time. And that's really because you're mad at God. You think he let you down. You're upset with the condition of your life right now, and unfortunately, God is getting the blame. Some dream that you had is shattered. Your marriage is hanging by a thread, if not disintegrated, right before your eyes. Friends have let you down. People have turned on you. Friendships are in disarray. Kids are going sideways. And that's where you're at right now. That's your life. Now, of course... You can be in this church all the time, week after week, and feel the same exact thing. You carry around a weight and a burden in your life. But God's getting all the blame. Listen, it's in that hopeless condition, whether you're there now or perhaps in the future, that Jesus shows up in a powerful way to these two young men. Pick up with me, would you, in verse 13 of Luke 24? And we'll see how God responds to the discouragement in our lives. Now behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had just happened. That's what I just described to you. They're talking about, you know, I get the picture of these two guys, you know, they're, they're, they're walking along the road, they're heading out of Jerusalem, they're going a seven-mile journey, and their heads are down, and they're kicking the rocks, and they're talking about the things, and sharing their heart with one another, and they don't really care how fast they go or where they're headed, they just want to get away from the situation and just deal with the new reality. And there they are, talking and reasoning and thinking things through, trying to figure things out. In verse 15, while they conversed and reasoned, it was while they were talking that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But, verse 16, their eyes were restrained, so they didn't know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? 
And then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, which, which, by the way, there's two guys here. Only one of them is named Cleopas. And I just thought, some of you ladies that are pregnant are looking for that perfect Bible name for your kid. You can say you got it on Easter. It'll be a great story to tell your kid as he grows up. Cleopas. Now, Cleo is kind of a cool name, but you've got to go all the way. Cleopas. <laughs> there he is. He speaks up. And he says, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? <laughs> and Jesus said to him, what things? Now, don't you think at this moment that Jesus is starting to crack just a little smile? Like, Wait, I don't know. I was, all this happened to me. But instead, he does what he normally does. He asks the gentle question to draw out from you what's really on your heart. There are times when you're so bummed out and so discouraged, you don't want anybody to talk to you, let alone ask you questions. But often that's exactly what you need. You need for the depth of, the heart of your heart to be exposed and to be shared. And he's just gently, hey, tell me, tell me what things. Maybe I don't know. Maybe, you know, go ahead and fill me in. But what he's doing is he's drawing out for them the facts that they know. Notice, they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. And here's, you know, not only does Jesus say that they're sad, but they also say in verse 21, he says, but we were hoping. See, at one point in their life, they had hope. Right now, they have none. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today's the third day since these things happened. So they also grasp the reality that Jesus promised in three days he'd rise again. Then not only that, notice verse 22. Then certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they didn't find his body. They came saying that they had a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. You know what this tells me? This tells me that you can have all the facts right and still come to the wrong conclusion. You can have all the Bible knowledge in the world and still come to the wrong conclusion. They are, I mean, you hear these words and you're thinking, well, what are you so bummed out about? He's alive. The angels confirmed it. Then you sent others to go check it out, and it's right. He's not there. He's risen from the dead. But they have all the facts right, but their emotions have blinded them from the true reality. And it's very common in dark, dark times to be consumed by emotion and yet at the same time have the right facts. You know, friends, what you learn about God from the scriptures, what you learn about God from Bible studies, what you learn about God from your parents and your grandparents is not designed simply to stay within your mind so that you can say that you know something about God. But rather, the information that's conveyed to you of the truths of God are designed to draw you into an intimate, close relationship to bring about obedience from your life and turning away from the sin that has so consumed your life. And here we have an example of someone who is factually correct, but practically incorrect. And as they're talking, they don't realize that it's Jesus. In their minds, their dream is over, or so it seemed. They watched the beating. They watched the crucifixion. They know about the tomb. They saw it sealed. They know the guards were there. And their lives, once burning with anticipation for the day that Jesus Christ would establish his kingdom, ended so quickly. And their 
headed out of Jerusalem away from the cross. Have you ever faced a situation that was so hard and so difficult and so emotionally, mentally draining that you thought or maybe even verbalized, I want to go now. I'm done. I want to get away from this as fast as I can and as far as I can. You ever been there? That's where they're at. That's what they did. They're heading away from the cross. The cross represented to them loss and sorrow and discouragement. They haven't seen the full picture. They want to get away from the pain of the loss in their lives. They want to walk away, get away as fast as they can. Listen. In these times of hurting in our lives, when we've failed spiritually, when we've stumbled, when we've blown it, when we're in pain, this is not the time to go away from the cross. It's not the time to isolate yourself. It's not the time to pull away from your friends and from your Christian brothers and sisters. Exactly the opposite. It's the time to press in. You know why? Because the devil loves to exploit our pain and use it against us to develop in our minds thoughts that it's God's fault and God let you down when that's not the truth at all. The devil's lying to you and maybe yourself, maybe you're even lying to yourself. See, you don't want to isolate yourself. You don't want to run away. Rather, the opposite. You want to move toward the things of God, not away from them. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, draw close to God and he'll draw close to you. And here he is showing up in the midst of the, what you could say is the worst part of their lives. Jesus is right there. They don't see it yet. Isn't that the case so many times in our lives? We're receiving the comfort and the encouragement of God, but we don't see it yet. We don't see it yet. Hang in there. You know what I've learned over the course of my life and perhaps even in the last few years is it's always too soon to quit on the Lord. You may want to feel like it. You may have that. You may want to do it. You may feel like it, but it's always too soon to quit. The Bible says that what God has started in you, he's faithful to complete it. The Bible says that, man, he'll never leave you or forsake you. The the Bible says, the Bible says that God will perfect that in you, what he started, what he created. It's always too soon to quit. It's always too soon to walk away. It's always too soon to turn your back on God. Give it some time for your eyes to open to see the spiritual reality behind the physical reality. That God would open your eyes. Because at this time, Jesus appears to these guys. They're not very popular. We don't know much about them except what's reserved for us here. We don't know much about their lives. I mean, Jesus, after his resurrection, it's, it's amazing to me, it's fascinating to me who he appeared to. Because after his resurrection, we have a couple of episodes that he appeared to. And, and Jesus, you know, he has a perfect mind, so unlike mine. But if I was Jesus, I might have appeared to a few people just to mess with them. <laughs> you know, Caiaphas would be one of them. I think Herod, you know, coming back to Herod, because Herod was so close. I don't know that he'd be messing with Herod as much as like, hey, look, I'm here, I'm alive. But I think of Caesar. 
You know, Caesar at this point in time, the, the, those that were filling that role of Caesar of Rome were requiring worship as God. They were declaring themselves God. And can you imagine the appearance of Jesus to Caesar and saying, oh, you say you're God? Well, here I am, God in human flesh, risen from the dead. How do you like that? <laughs> Who knows? But in the choices that Jesus made, he appears to guys like Cleopas and his buddy on his way seven miles away from Jerusalem. He appears to Mary. The Bible says he appears to other disciples. The Bible says he appears to 500 people at once. And he was very specific, very purposeful. He appears to ordinary people that you're not outside and you're not far from God at any moment being an ordinary person like you and me. He asked them, what are you guys so concerned about? What's on your mind? And they share the story with him, and then he answers, notice in verse 25, you foolish ones. This is a soft, strong word, as sometimes we're called to deliver. It's a soft, strong word. You, you're talking foolishness. This is foolish. And he says, you're slow of heart to believe. And that is, that, that's really the issue, isn't it? You have the right information, but you won't believe it. You're slow to believe. And then he says, ought the Christ, or excuse me, believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And then check this out. This is so cool in verse 27. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them. That's just a fancy word for he taught them a Bible study. What we would say today, beginning at Moses, the way we would say that today is he opened up the Bible to them in Genesis 1-1, and he gave them a, a Bible study all throughout the Old Testament showing where he was, all the pictures, all the types, all the, all the reality of his presence. For instance, can you get, he opens up to Genesis 1-1, and he says, there in the beginning, God, he says, I'm right there. I'm right there creating. That's why, I, there I am. You know, the first mention of Jesus Christ, Genesis 1-1. And then he went through the whole scriptures. Wouldn't you like to have the MP3 of that Bible study? I mean, I think, I think man, they sign up for that podcast. Because we've been through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We study that as a church, verse by verse, every single word. And I've tried to point out as best that I could of all the places where Jesus Christ is so clearly seen. But I wonder how many I missed with the perfect teaching of Jesus. And, and as he teaches them, it says, they drew near to the village, verse 28. And he indicated that he would have gone farther. You know, in one way, he's, he's done. He's brought strength to them, brought encouragement to them, but they, they want more. They constrain him. That's a strong word in the original language here. It, it, it means, you know, almost forcing him. They didn't, but close to it. Like, come on, you can't go. And just not settling, taking no for an answer. They constrained him, saying, abide with us, for it's toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And check this out. They said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while, we talk, while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Here's a couple of guys that had lost all hope in life. We're going to go off and do their own thing. And Jesus appears to them and he uses the scriptures to encourage them. If your hope is gone today, turn to the scriptures and you'll find wonderful hope and encouragement, just as these disciples found to be the case. Today on Abounding Grace, we listened into a portion of Pastor Ed Taylor's message, The Resurrection of Jesus Brings Hope. 
There was actually much more to it, and we can send you the complete message on a CD for just $2 when you call 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to bringing the truth of God's Word to the radio every day. And maybe you benefited from these studies. Perhaps you've been listening for a while, but have never taken the time to call or write and let us know. We hope you'll take just a moment to email us as you visit our website at calvaryaurora.org. And remember, it's your financial partnership that allows us to bring these studies to your station. When you give $25 or more today, we'd like to send you Pastor Chuck Smith's book, Love the Most Excellent Way. You'll learn what real love is all about from someone who experienced it for himself throughout his life and ministry before going home to be with the Lord. Here's where to reach us, 877-30-GRACE, or contribute to the ministry online at calvaryaurora.org. And if you'd rather write, our mailing address is Abounding Grace. Post Office Box 460598, Aurora, Colorado, 80046. Wherever you may be this weekend, remember the resurrection of Christ brings hope. And that's good reason to rejoice. On behalf of Pastor Ed and all of us at Abounding Grace, may God richly bless you and your family this Easter. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora.